Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hey, hey. So this month, we realized that it was Women's History Month, and we decided that this would be a good opportunity for us here at Between the Gutters to explore women's history and we wanted to explore various comics that covered the subject it's not something that we're super familiar with but we're very open to learning about these comics and to learning about the subject as a whole albert yeah what is women's history month i guess if i had to be i don't know glib is the word but maybe diplomatic (laughs) i don't know i i think it's fair to say that women's history is really all of our history. It's really all history. It's just, and I don't mean that in the sense that women to history specifically is all history, but it's it's part of the greater tapestry of the overall history that we all share. I think it's just unfortunate that a lot of the times the kind of history that we're taught in schools isn't comprehensive enough to cover everything, you know? Mm -hmm. I do think that people enjoy a story and they enjoy the idea of uh, a singular the idea of a singular hero as being the focal point of a lot of history you know you have you we're constantly told things like benjamin franklin he he flew a kite in a storm and <laughs> you know did stuff with electricity and uh mm-hmm. thomas edison discovered the telephone and the you know invented it and invented, invented electricity yeah, yeah and invented like invented electricity exactly right but i think the thing that that ignores is that so much of science really is built on the work of a lot of people it's not just the individual and if i had to be pretty honest about it thomas edison was a jerk who really just patented a lot of stuff and stole a lot of things. So he wasn't really the hero that we thought he was either. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's not how they taught us when we were kids in school. We had to exactly. figure that out on our own as we got older. Exactly. He was an elephant killer. <laughs> if, it, but, if it weren't for uh, Tesla, man, maybe uh, Thomas Edison wouldn't have been who he ended up being. Right? If, if they didn't have this, you know, war of aggression or passive aggression towards each other maybe science would have turned out a pretty different way right yeah but that is to say that you know science science is complex and you know i'm sure there are certainly individuals that did a lot to progress the movement of science in a certain direction there are also a lot of unsung heroes history is really dictated by forces that want to you know, either benevolent or not, or whatever their motives may be, they wanted to curate history in a way, in a certain way that uh, gave it a certain form or shape. And sometimes that's to our detriment as people who live in a society who are learning history because we end up getting a very abridged version of what history is and not necessarily Mm -hmm. taking in all of the nuance and all of the complexities of what goes into history or science or what have you right yeah we miss out on the contributions of a lot of people that just weren't as prominent for one reason or another 
even as a student, I was always curious in history class just to learn more about the stories of the things that happened, right? I mean, yeah. we, we still obviously like stories because we do a comic book podcast. We, we clearly exactly. care about stories and a lot of the stories throughout history, kind of just for the sake of uh, expediency, they cut out a lot of details. Right, right. Or I guess people I think that, it's... that the writers of those history books consider to be minor, so we don't necessarily get a chance to learn about all the unsung heroes uh, throughout time. Exactly, exactly. I do think that there's a, a train of thought that asks the question of <laughs> why exactly do we need a Women's History Month, you know, or or they'll ask something to the effect of we don't get a men's history month and i don't i don't think that's necessarily the right way to look at it again uh, history is curated in a way and whether they know it or not it's curated in a way that when it's presented to us there's some aspect of social engineering involved in it right uh mm-hmm. like whether they know it or not they they want to build up the 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 people that write history books the people that educate us whether it comes from a place where that was what they were taught or whether it was it comes from a place where they intentionally did it a lot of the times it feels like the goal history is, is about crafting a narrative as well exactly on some level. exactly it is right it's about fostering a shared narrative like you said so that we have the foundation for societal I guess connectivity, mm-hmm. if that's the right way to put it. Like it, it gives us all cornerstones and foundations that we can use as the building blocks of a society, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we can all tell each other, oh, we inherently understand when we communicate with each other that these are the people, these are the individuals that helped us to forge the history that we live in, right? Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like that's that's what a society is is building these uh this this connective tissue between all of us. I don't think there's anything wrong with expanding that beyond the set of individuals that we are accustomed to thinking of or that we're or that we're only aware of, right? The, the same names that we think of over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I do think that the idea that um you know there shouldn't be a women's history month or that women's history month is just some sort of artificial construct that uh we put in place to give lip service to women like it's not something that i personally believe because again to some degree all history that we teach is this artificial construct it's it's all been curated in a way and presented in a way to uh, foster a, a shared narrative for all of us, you know? Yeah, it's like they say, history is written by the victors, so yeah. there's a lot of p- points of view that we don't necessarily uh, get exactly. taught. It's about time that history be written by Victoria, right? <laughs> <laughs> you like that? You like that? was that? clever, man. That was Thank clever. You. Vic... We've been we've been hearing a lot from Victor. It's time to hear from Victoria. We good about this, right? <laughs> Man, were you just waiting for me to say that? <laughs> Sound like you I, were just 
I no that that was uh, off the fly, my man. I'm I'm um, all kinds of uh, improvisational. Nice man. Thank you. I don't know if I'm ready for your whip tonight. <laughs> yeah, but we thought we'd uh, explore a couple of different books tonight. Uh, you know, just uh, a couple of different comics that explored different important characters key figures uh in women's history and uh in one case it's it's a person that we were well i i won't speak for you but she was someone that i certainly wasn't aware of beyond one one basic fact so you know it was uh it was an opportunity to enlighten myself about this individual and in an, in the second case, uh, it was a comic about a, a person that I had not been aware of at all. Mm-hmm. So the first comic that we are going to discuss is Mary Curie, A Quest for Light. This is a comic that was written by, so forgive me if I, I don't get this right, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant and I'm, I'm willing to admit it. It was written by Francis Andresen Osterfall as well as Anha Seti Anderson, and it was illustrated by Anna Blasizic. So these are all names that I wasn't accustomed to saying, so, you know, again, forgive me. So this comic is, well, in a very brief summation of it, it's essentially just a story that details the life and times of Mary Curie and just what she had to go through. It, it in order to get to where she was. Um, I mentioned earlier at the top of this podcast that she was someone that I, I had only known one thing about. And unfortunately that one thing that I knew was that her main discovery was the thing that killed her. (laughs) (laughs) It's not necessarily the best thing to be known for. I, I believe she discovered radium, yeah, she ended up dying of radium poisoning. Spoilers. Yeah, like I wasn't a, a kid that studied science and too much in in high school or in college, but that that was the one thing that I knew about her. What about you, Drew? Did you? What did you? What kind of familiarity did you have with Mary Curie? Well, similar to you, I I learned about her in school. Probably I don't know when did they start teaching us about people like her. I guess elementary or middle school probably. I all I really knew is that she had some kind of thing to like her discoveries or her scientific background was in science and she had some discovery to do with radiation and I knew yeah. that she won the Nobel Prize so she was obviously really successful at what she was doing or or innovative or groundbreaking for her her work. But uh, beyond that, I I can't say that I knew too much else about her. Like, I don't even know if I remember that she died of radiation poisoning, although that that makes sense because back in those days, I don't I'm not sure if they really understood the ramifications of the things that they were examining. I imagine that being the first person to discover it. Well, okay. (laughs) here's the thing. The main reason that I remembered her was that I was watching an episode of The Simpsons where Lisa talks about Mary Curie. And oh, it was okay. This, 
inspiring moment where she goes, you know, where she talks about like her foremothers and all of the uh, and all of their accomplishments. And Lisa goes, and Mary Curie, who discovered radium only to die from it, <laughs> only to die of radium poisoning. Hey, uh, at least on the Simpsons life. taught you about something that you didn't learn. So yeah. you you didn't even learn about her about Mary Curie in school. You learned about her from watching The Simpsons. Yeah, she was a pop culture reference. Okay, okay. Like wow. Now that the, you mention it, it, it kind of feels really like the public school system school. failed you. I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. I mean, I'm able to hold a job. Uh, if I was to commit a crime, it certainly wouldn't be a white collar crime because I'm just not <laughs> capable of it. I ain't smart enough for that. <laughs> uh, it would, <laughs> it would probably be a violent crime if that. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of uh, of Mary Curie, like she wasn't, she wasn't someone that. I had ever heard of in in the context of school. Now that I think about it, now that you mention it, hmm. which is yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, I I feel like I've I've wasted my tax dollars, or or the people that spent their tax dollars on me wasted their <laughs> money. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to introduce the other book that we'll be discussing? Yeah, the another the second book is a comic in a series called Scene. It's it's the true stories of marginalized trailblazers. It's a series of books. I think it's very new. Um, so it's I want to say it's ongoing because there's at least a second book in the series. I don't know how many more they're going to come out with these, but this one is the first one in the series, and it's about an individual. Is this the first one, or I thought there was another one that came out before it. Oh. Okay, maybe this is the second one. I I might have gotten the two confused. But this one is about Rachel Carson. She was a writer, uh, a nature writer, a naturalist, I guess, who wrote articles about the environment and whose advocacy... I mean, okay, who, she advocated a lot for the removal of certain chemicals and pesticides from day-to-day use. Uh, these were chemicals and pesticides that we, that Americans had been uh, integrating into daily life because they weren't fully aware of the detrimental effects of those chemicals. And yeah, she's, she's really someone that I wasn't aware of. I mean, I, this, this is something as as a phenomena that I was aware of, I, I do remember being in school and them talking about how DDT, I think it's called DDT, right? Yeah, that's what it's called in the okay. comic. Because I keep thinking of wrestling when I think of that. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are those the same things? I feel stupid. <laughs> There's like... So wrestler. Rowdy Roddy Piper was doing using DDT on eagles. <laughs> yeah. He was going through the crops during uh, harvest time, you know, doing DDTs on, on all the ones that weren't making, you know, the ones that weren't quality crops. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, the thing that I remember about DDT when I was a kid was, and they taught this in school, was that 
it was a chemical that they were using as a pesticide, and they mentioned this in the book a little bit, but because uh, the birds were eating insects that had been exposed to these uh, pesticides, they were uh, ingesting the pesticides into their own bodies. So what ended up happening was uh, it made it so that there were a lot of birth defects in the bird population, that there were a lot of... uh, like even things like eggshells would become so soft that the birds or the, that like bald eagles were crushing the eggshells. They were losing a lot of bald eagles in the population to the effects of DDT, essentially, you know? Yeah. So that was something that I do remember from school. And even that that's the funny thing. Even when they taught this in school, like... They were just very brief about it. They were they they basically said, "Oh, this was a problem," and then we outlawed DDT, and that was the end of it. You know, they never really went into details in terms of the process of how this uh, how this problem was brought to the attention of the American government, and how uh, and the specific individuals that pushed this forward you know it, it was it just felt like it happened and then we eventually caught it and then we corrected and that was it you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to some degree that's that's kind of how school operates because they just even want though to they, give you the the facts you know yeah like it's, it's a bullet point of facts a bullet exactly. point list of facts so you exactly. just remember those things but you, there isn't a whole lot of detail involved because i i never heard of Rachel Carson either this like this reading this comic was the first time I learned of her yeah yeah and she's someone that could have I think very easily been lost to history Mm -hmm. but very specific individuals took it upon themselves to keep her story alive yeah speaking of which we didn't mention the creative team for the Rachel Carson comic yeah. So this was written by Bertie Willis, line art by Rhea Abrego, colored by Kieran Quigley, and lettered by DC Hopkins. It was published by Boom Studios under their Boombox imprint. Right, right. So uh, do you have any like additional thoughts that you wanted to add before we go into it? No, I think we can go into the books and talk about the different things that we might have learned or things that stood out. I guess we can go through the books one at a time we want to start with mary curie a quest for light yeah sure so right at the front we learned that she i believe she grew up in was it poland Mm-hmm. yeah she grew up in poland and uh even then at the time of her upbringing poland was a country that had seen a lot of conflict it was a country that was uh separate separated uh, by three powers i believe it was prussia russia and hungary yeah be wrong yeah and it just tells the story of her life in this upbringing and uh you know how even at the time she was a really bright child but you know due to conflict due to economics she wasn't really able to i guess fully focus on her on her passion which was science right Mm -hmm. but fortunately there were people in her life 
that still uh, fostered that in her. I believe it was her father uh, that her father and uh, I want to say her one of her older sisters. Her older big, sister was a big help. Also, there were people in the in the community that were like teachers. There were teachers that she looked up to that, you know, maybe they didn't go so so far as to say, like, you know, you can do anything. But they, they <clears throat> certainly like gave her an environment where she could explore and where she felt like it was OK to. Uh, to put effort and energy into to learning, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sto- there's a story early on where they were talking about how <clears throat> I forget I forget who it was exactly. I want to say Russians were would come occasionally to the school to check in on students and to ensure whether they were learning only Russian and only state or, 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 you know, Russian allowed subjects. Yeah. But, but the story was talking about how her teachers would basically in defiance of these orders, tried to teach the teach Mary and her, the rest of her student uh, and the, her fellow students about, uh their culture you know and maybe that isn't tied exactly to science but i do think that's a scene that shows the value of education it showed that she it showed it was a scene that showed that mary marie understood what the value of learning was and even under circumstances where someone was at risk uh it was still important to learn you know like it it just felt like very early on it was instilled in her this this sense that um even if it meant the potential of harm the search for truth and knowledge was still valuable and still worth it you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mm-hmm and i think the comic does a pretty good job of giving us a good picture of her early life as a biography. It's not probably the most in-depth work because it's relatively small number of pages and it covers, you know, her, her entire life. So I'm sure you you can find a, a prose biography about her. That's far more comprehensive, but at least for me as an overview of Kiri's life, this was a really good way to, yeah, just introduce me to her backstory and how she grew up. Like you said, the whole thing about what Poland was like at the time she was born and when she was growing up, there, there was definitely a sense of, I guess, oppression, you know, just because these were... This was a country that was being ruled by uh, the Russian imperialists, and they wanted to control what was being taught in the schools, and they wanted to control what language people would speak. But throughout yeah. the throughout 
this comic, you you do see little scenes and mentions of how Curie's family and a lot of the other Polish people around her tried to, you know, do what they could to subvert the Russians or figure ways to show their own national pride. Like there was this one little scene where in the town or the city that she lived in as she was growing up, I think, I think she grew up in Warsaw. There's a a statue that was like dedicated to all the Poles who helped the Russians or something. Right. And like, they were traitors. Yeah. They were traitors to their country. So, (laughs) so like a lot of, a lot of uh, patriotic Polish people, when they would walk by that statue, they would spit at it. Yeah. Or spit on it. But the thing but you, about the statue they, was they didn't when want you to get spit caught. on it. I was going to say the thing about it was there was a penalty for spitting on it because the state would perceive that as yeah. a slight. And exactly. You could get punished for it if you got exactly. caught. Well, the anecdote even continued on to say that in one instance, someone was hanged for it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it definitely wasn't something as light as a as a hey you kids don't do that <laughs> you know exactly exactly it was it was dangerous yeah yeah and that was just that was just the time that she grew up in the time and place it, like it it's also kind of interesting thematically just to think about how in her whole life she did have to face a lot of obstacles and just i guess authoritarian voices or people who just had power over her that were always trying to limit what she was able to do whether it was her her country growing up being under the control of another country or just when she finally moved to paris just the societal yeah uh, like restrictions yeah exactly there were scenes where she went to the sarbonne you know, I, and I don't really know much about it, but I think it's, you know, like a pretty high-end school in France. And she was com- she was completely isolated from the other students in the school. And it wasn't really, it wasn't like this was a thing where the isolation came as some sort of imposed uh, restriction on her part. It was people, like the the other students, chose not to interact with her you know so highly unusual for a woman to go that far in her education exactly and yeah so time and time again we see that she comes up against these uh obstructions so whether it be like you said the the another invading country that has imposed its will on her native country or whether it's the uh, the restrictions of um, the gender restrictions that people internalize within them, within uh, people who should, for all intents and purposes, be her compatriots. Yeah. And, and there's even stories about her having to deal with economic uh, uh, obstacles because, yeah. you know, going to school wasn't cheap. In fact, she had to work to send her sisters to school so that when her sister was finally able to uh, earn a living, that was when she was able to uh, pursue her own desires for school, you know? 
So yeah. time and time again, we just see her coming up against all of these different obstacles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Even even uh, in her uh, later academic career, when when she was clearly smarter than just about all the other students in her classes, you really got the sense that the other people, I mean, generally, I think they were pretty much all men. So, you know, there's obviously some element of sexism at play and just the idea where, I mean, for us today, we can easily just imagine that these other men, uh, professors and other classmates were just probably thinking, man, women don't know anything. And, you know, why should we take her seriously, even though she was proving it in in her classes and everything and in her research? So it, it, it's definitely something where the men of the society around her really did try to downplay her achievements. It's weird to think that she didn't really get recognition for her discoveries until she got married because that first Nobel Prize that she got was a joint win with her husband. Yeah. Yeah. As as far as the book goes, it's not something that goes too specific into the technicalities of what it is that she was uh, discovering. And Quite frankly, if if even if it had, I, I think it would have been lost on me because I'm I'm not the most scientific minded person. Uh, it, it's not, and specifically something uh, that covers something like radiation and and I don't know what that would be. Is that like physics? Yeah, she was a physicist and a chemist. Yeah, like those are just really high concepts that I wouldn't really be able to follow. Uh, yeah, I, I barely passed those classes in high school, so yeah, <laughs> I can't really say that I, I got much of anything out of them. Yeah. There, there's a reason why I became an English major in college. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take the path of least resistance, man. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not even good at math. Did I ever tell you about how freshman year... I took calculus and I got a D, so I couldn't advance to the next course. So two oh, quarters later, I took it again, and instead of getting a D, I got an F. Oof. Yeah. That's familiar to me. I mean, you didn't tell me that story, but I recognize that in my own life as well. Like, it was, it's just not something that I've ever been able to wrap my head around. Uh, even even when people try to reduce it to something like a formula. Like when when those equations are presented to me and even one thing is off, I I just can't seem to square that peg, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's this it doesn't ahead. come naturally to me at all. Yeah. So yeah. The the way that this comic is, it 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 tells you just enough from a general sense to know what she accomplished, but it doesn't really spend too much time delving into the science the really technical aspects of the science yeah yeah and and i I, it's not that i think it would be boring i think if somebody could explain that stuff to me in a simple way where someone like me who doesn't know physics and chemistry can actually at least understand the basics of it i think that would be pretty cool but it wasn't really necessary for for this comic you know like this is a i think this is a a comic that 
anybody at any age could read, you know, well, maybe not like a really, really young kid, but certainly like an elementary schooler or a middle schooler could read it, you know? Yeah, 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 I I, I agree with that, right? And it's, I mean, the the primary purpose is to give a narrative of what her life was like and the obstacles that she had to face in achieving her prominence and and i think it does that job this comic does that job and uh i don't feel like i was missing anything from not knowing from not you know having the the science explained to me uh because like i said i think I think there's a chance, even if it had been, uh, I I probably wouldn't have been able to appreciate it, you know. Mhm. Mhm. Were there any elements or any things in the book that you learned that kind of stood out, or you know, just things that maybe you didn't realize before? Um, I mean, I I'd say that there were a lot of things that I like I mentioned at the top of the podcast. The only thing I knew about her was that she discovered radium and she died of it. <laughs> That's true. So, so she was more or less a blank slate to me. And, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of anecdotes in here that were humanizing in a lot of ways, or, or not even in a lot of ways, that were humanizing. And, um, you know, they told the story of, like, the economic hardship she had to face. They told the story of how... She had to deal with, uh, rest- you know, obstacles in terms of how she was able to gain access to information as a child growing up. Uh, additionally, there were there were bits of uh, there was uh, bits of her life that, again, I, I wasn't aware of at all. But um, I believe what she moved to Paris and became a governess to a family. And at one point, she fell in love with, I believe, the son in the family. Was was that in Paris, or was, was that? I, th- I thought it was still in Poland. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Because I think when she moved to Paris, you're she right, lived you're with right. her sister and her sis- sister's husband. You're right. You're right. So yeah, in Poland, she fell in love. Uh, or she became a governess to a fa- like a well-to-do family, and uh, she, I believe, she was there to, or basically, she was offered work because she was teaching their younger ch- children. Yeah, like it wasn't just that she knew, you know, science and math and stuff, but I think she also spoke several languages that they found uh appealing you know languages that they wanted to expose their kids to right Mm -hmm. and she eventually fell i believe she fell in love with was it their son yeah like the the oldest son of that family yeah i guess not the son that she was tutoring yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) just to clarify yeah yeah the oldest son of that family was an adult and he lived somewhere else but i guess during the holidays he came back and that was how they met and it just sounded like that guy's parents didn't think like they just straight up 
rejected yeah. the idea of him of being a different in love with social him. class essentially yeah exactly she didn't have a lot of money yeah and it, from what i remember in the comic it wasn't even her it, it was her parents but even members of, of the community looked looked frowned upon that idea that he would uh you know fraternize with mm-hmm. the help you know yeah so and, and there we go there's another example of just the just another obstacle in her life or or mm-hmm. or, or another yeah a, another thing that was stopping her from just living the life living her life the way she wanted so yeah, she, yeah certainly she wasn't someone who had it easy by any means yeah um, that's that story was actually kind of sad it it definitely humanized her as a person you know like this yeah it made her seem like more of a real person to me than just a figure that made a major contribution to scientific history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Drew, about the art. I'm kind of curious what you thought of the art style of the comic because it's not really a a conventional kind of comic book. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. unique, I'd say. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what medium the artist used. Um Anna Blazic. I'm not again, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name properly, but the the art reminded me actually of kind of a toned down Dave McKean. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> like if you've ever read Dave McKean's kids books, like the kids books that he did with Neil Gaiman. That's kind of mixed media too, or it it's it just looks different. What what was that one comic? Did he do that Punch and Judy comic? Yeah, that was one of his. Yeah. Yeah, and I could. I could. Yeah, there see was the one the about the. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it kind of looks like the way that this comic that this quest uh that a quest for light the way that it's drawn it kind of reminds me of uh puppets or something you know like the way that the yeah people are posed almost like stop motion uh graphics so I'm, it, it's really different you know it, it's not it's not your typical comic book art yeah it d- definitely yeah. doesn't look like any anything you'd see from mainstream american comics it's interesting because um, it it feels like a lot of the figures are are just comprised of these really stripped down geometric shapes, but there's still a lot of complexity to the art style, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of this story, and I, I feel like I say this so much, but uh, you know, I could be wrong or misremembering it, but I. You know, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But okay, so I remember uh, I, I took this art history class in college, and they were talking about how Pablo Picasso, in his later years, when he was losing control of his uh, of his hands, uh, you know, when he wasn't able to paint uh, the way that he wanted to anymore, mm-hmm. what he was doing with in terms of uh, what he was doing in order so that he could continue to create art was he was cutting out uh shapes and 
Yeah, cutouts. That, that this definitely reminds me of cutouts. Exactly. The style so, of it. yeah. I don't remember if he was using like paper cutouts or like felt or whatever, but essentially he was cutting out different shapes and forming them in in patterns that that was expre- that was his form of expression, you know? So, that's definitely I I do see some of that in here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh for sure. Um it's it's a pretty neat look, I, I think. Uh, I have a feeling that the artist has a background in animation because it, it does make me think of some interesting cartooning styles. I can see that. I can see that. Like, a lot of the times I'm, I'm looking at these scenes, like, there's there's this one page here where he's drawing a crowd, and it's not... It's not a crowd at a glance. When you look at it, it it really feels like it's a bunch of square shapes with with little tiny dot at the tip. But mm-hmm. but you know, you as a reader understand this to be a crowd of people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's that exercise of 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 communicating what something is through a sense of shape and depth as opposed to just straight up drawing a crowd of people, you know? Yeah, there's something a little bit impressionistic about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Even yeah. the cover is pretty interesting because it's, it's uh, a silhouette of Mary Curie looking up at this pile of something it like when i look at it it just looks like a pile of rocks or something like i wasn't exactly sure but i I guess those are just some like i don't know minerals or elements of something i I don't really i'm not really sure exactly what i'm looking at but it's a a striking image just with her silhouette looking up at this pile of something yeah yeah it's it's a pretty cool looking book you know i i think it's even if you don't go through it and read her story i i I think just exploring the the art of it is pretty fascinating you know you can just kind of flip through it and soak up and absorb each Mm -hmm. individual page and yeah, there's there's something about that. Yeah, totally. Because I think as somebody, as as a couple of people who read a lot of comics, like anytime we find something that's just visually distinct from everything else, it kind of stands out. And it's just fun to look at, you know? Like there isn't, especially in, in North American comics and uh, even, yeah, definitely manga and probably a good amount of European comics, don't really see too many comics that look like this one it it kind of looks like art you would find in a children's book like a children's illustrated yeah, book yeah and and uh, like one of the things that i like to do like a mental exercise i like to play sometimes when i go to a bookstore like when we go to the green apple i'll flip through a, a children's book and just look at the artwork and imagine what it would be if that artist in that children's book made a comic 
And <laughs> this kind of feels like that, you know, like it kind of feels yeah. like somebody who was like really talented at illustrating children's books decided to make a comic. Yeah. I I've had that thought in the past where I I do think that and I don't know if you feel this way, but I do think that my love of comics does stem from a childhood love of picture books, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and there's definitely something that carried over from that into my preteens and my teens and even now as an adult, you know, uh, that's that's the great thing about comics is the ability to mix all these different elements uh, that that aren't restricted by just the words that you put in like a prose novel. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. the fusion of words and art and uh, of visual as well as stylistic elements to give you this different experience you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and i do think mary curie is a pretty unique experience in and of itself yeah like i imagine if this had been drawn in a more conventional way it, it definitely wouldn't have been something that would have caught my eye just off the shelf or anything like that you know yeah i think that cover is what really made it attract my attention because I remember when I was looking at some of the new releases, I saw this cover. I was immediately curious, and then I went to the library's website and asked them to buy it so I could read it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. It's cool, man. It's something that I'm glad we decided to read. Mary Curie is an important person in modern history just because of what she did in the field of radiation and and uh, all those other things that are too complicated for me to understand yeah actually and- one thing that stood out to me in terms of uh, f- a fact about her accomplishments and what she did that i i didn't know before but the book talked about how she uh discovered or i don't know if discovered is the right word or maybe developed but uh the the x-ray equipment that yeah that uh became that started to be used in world war one uh-huh like she she was the one who uh developed i guess like some kind of portable x-ray device or equipment that could be taken to soldiers who were closer to the front lines so that they could uh, you know, receive better treatment sooner as opposed yeah. to, you know, like all the time, like every every minute can matter in, in a battlefield, right? So, yeah, her, her x-ray units, um, it's pretty interesting because I, I had no idea that she did that. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention uh, in regards to the art was... There's another section in the book where when she goes to Paris, she, the way that she describes uh, what the environment was like at the time, it really does feel like it's a place where uh, they're at the dawn of a new age. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they're like her and her contemporary science scientists are just making discoveries like, you know, it almost feels like it's every every day every week that uh there's even a point in the comic where they're talking about how 
you know, several d- different elements are being discovered at the same time, you know, and it's it's a crazy idea to think, especially now, uh, you know, living in our modern world. Uh, but it's a crazy idea to think of uh, of an era where just every week you're making a new discovery or a new breakthrough like that, you know, or not week, but, you know, yeah. within a short period of time, all these discoveries and breakthroughs are coming out. And it's like just most how, people would be lucky to make one discovery. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, the best discovery that we've got now is what, those, those uh, scooters with the wheels? Like... I was expecting flying cars, and that's what we got. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. the The way that the the way that uh, the artist drew all this this entire period, it it does fill it with this sense of like vitality and life, you know, and excitement and energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it makes sense to 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 draw it that way because, uh, again, this is just a period of time where people are just pushing the boundaries of uh, scientific discovery, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's even this, like, one page. I, 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 like, I can't really describe it, but there's just, it's just, like, an explosion of colors. And you see, like, a flying machine and the, the symbol for an atom and just the pyramid. It's, it, it doesn't really make any sense, but just visually taking it in like you can tell that it's it's something exciting right it yeah. it just captures the feeling of excitement and uh i guess progress scientific progress you mm-hmm. know mhm yeah so that's that's definitely a uh, a feeling that i thought this book captured very well yeah yeah it was definitely definitely a, a really good read yeah, I guess one final thing about Mary Curie that really stands out is, again, I guess I would just reiterate how the book was able to portray her in this way that made her seem, you know, more realistic, more human. And yet it doesn't really it doesn't downplay any of her accomplishments either, like even though it doesn't get too deep into the technical aspects of chemistry and physics and radiation science. Even if it did, I don't even know if I'm meant, I'm probably not even mentally capable of comprehending that stuff. It, it does. It still gives you a good sense of the scope of her work, you know, because when you really think about her accomplishments and discoveries in uh, radiation and, uh, radioactivity there's a that's a lot of stuff that still impacts our world today you know like yeah. she she was alive in the early 19 late 1800s early 1900s um you know she she died in the 30s but the stuff that she discovered it's still contributing to society today you know like a lot of yeah. people have used her discoveries and gone on to make further uh, advances in science. So her work just, was the know, foundation for yeah, exactly. a lot of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about how 
throughout history, there's always people that uh, get either neglected or, or forgotten for their contributions. I think people remember Mary Curie because of what she did and, and how important it was and the fact that it was you know, still only about 100 years ago, a little bit less when, when she lived. So even though she hasn't been forgotten, I, it definitely does feel like for someone, a scientist that important, we don't really spend a whole lot of uh, energy teaching about her. You know, like I, I feel like the main scientist that we learn about in, in school growing up would be, just be Albert Einstein. Yeah, yeah. It it feels like she's kind of a footnote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. just the fact that as a woman, she had to overcome different obstacles that she wouldn't have had to face had she been a man. It's it's definitely something to to think about, you know, like especially during Women's History Month because she's a woman who left a massive impact on on history specifically yeah. modern history and she overcame a lot of barriers that were in her way solely because she was a woman who lived during a certain period of time in a certain part of the world you know yeah yeah i mean ultimately it's it's kind of what you said earlier which was e- even though it's not necessarily a conflict in, in in the sense that you know one one gender conquered another or something but uh what what ended up happening was you know men uh who who developed a lot of the history books ended up telling a, a version of history that was very male centric and that happens you know but as a result, we do end up neglecting a lot of these uh, individuals who made a lot of contributions to that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, in a perfect world, maybe we, we teach all these things uh, uh, on, on an equal level. Um, but we don't live in that kind of world. And, you know, to have something, to have a period of time where we pay special attention to to these individuals uh, i think in the long run it does more good for us than it does harm mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. It, it teaches us that uh all of us are capable of making these contribution contributions and that it's not limited to uh, a specific type of person right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it yeah, it's it's a comic that I recommend. I I I think the uh the narrative of it is is pretty interesting, but I also think the artistic style of it is just something worth taking in and observing. Mhm. Mhm. All right. You want to move on to the second comic in our series? Sure. Let's do it. So the second comic was seen as mentioned earlier. This is uh from a series called True Stories of Mar. Seen True Stories of Marginalized Trailblazers, written, and this one is about Rachel Carlson. Carson? Carson, sorry. And this is a person that I was not familiar with at all. Yeah. Uh, Did did you you have any thoughts when you I had no idea who she was. Like, 
I guess here here's a little tidbit behind the scenes of, of how we decided to read what we read for this week's episode. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, the Mary Curie book, A Quest for Light, was my recommendation or my, or my pick just because I had, again, like I mentioned earlier, I, I, I saw it uh, when it came out, thought it had a cool cover, and asked the library to buy it. So, yeah, you know, it just so happened uh, to be this month and thought it was, you know, some something that would fit the theme and then uh albert looked up some different uh books uh to choose from for his pick and when he picked this one i had no idea who it was about you know like i rachel carson that that didn't even ring a bell i had no idea whatsoever who she was but uh i thought it was a good choice after all because we were able to to learn, you know, educate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I, I mentioned at the top of the, the, the podcast that, you know, even, even my knowledge of what she did, I mean, like, I don't know what, I didn't know what her actual connection was, but you know, the, the stuff that I had learned about in school, I had no, they did not, the things that they taught me in school did not provide me any context in terms of who the individual players were uh, mm-hmm. when that happened, right? Whenever mm-hmm. they talked about uh, that specific era in time where, you know, we were just pumping all sorts of dangerous chemicals into the environment without really thinking about the ramifications of those chemicals, you know, uh, when we talk about all, when we talk about that all these years later, there there was so much stuff that we were just. It, it feels like as a species we were just trying to destroy ourselves, you know. <laughs> like there was asbestos uh, that we were putting in paint. There, there was like lead in paint. There was asbestos that we were using for uh, uh, insulation for the homes. So these were chemicals that were literally like messing up our brains chemicals that were incredibly uh flammable and uh and toxic toxic for ingestion like it just felt like for the sake of convenience we did not think at all about uh what the potential harm that it could do to us we just (laughs) we just saw that hey i can paint the balls with this stuff so i guess i guess we're good (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this thing kills insects. Let's just put it on our crops. Yeah, and then we'll eat the vegetables because I'm not a bug. What's the worst exactly. you can do to me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like one of the things that that uh that kind of shocked me from reading this book was, you know, when they were talking about the DDT and uh being used as a pesticide and how it was used to kill bugs. And yeah, there's a picture of how. Uh, they would have these biplanes spray the DDT over fields, but yeah. they they also showed that the that DDT was sprayed into kids' hair yeah. to decontaminate lice. <laughs> they sprayed it directly on kids. Yeah, right on their heads. <laughs> yeah, this this is actually pretty interesting. But um, I was watching uh one of my YouTube like news channels, so you know take that with a grain of salt. You know if you're the kind of people that believe in fake news, blah, 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 whatever, right? But 
they they did mention wait, wait. Uh, you don't believe in fake news i believe that there's misguided news i do believe that there's certainly a form of fake news but i certainly don't think that so, uh, so nothing you watch is fake news <laughs> i didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> nothing you watch for the purpose of education is fake news uh, let's just put it this way i I take what I watch with a grain of salt. With Sometimes you watch InfoWars just for a laugh. <laughs> I watch that as inspiration for this podcast. <laughs> He's the character that I want to be. <laughs> Alex Jones, he my hero. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what? so one of the... Uh, there, yeah, there was... And, and I'll see if I can, you know find the the information on it maybe i'll try to post it later but one of the things that they mentioned was that there was a study done recently that literally showed uh what happened to iq scores to the iq scores of people who grew up in this era where uh where lead was just in everything and based on the studies it shows that there was Definitely a re- reduction in several IQ points um, in that era relative to the people that came after, you know? Yeah. So it, it's it's just a sign of just how crazy that period of time was and just all the poisons that we were pumping into our bodies. Granted, we're not that much better now. I mean, there's I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that we're still for the sake of convenience, just pumping into our bodies and completely unaware of whatever the effects may be. It's interesting to see that the mechanisms to correct these are still certainly in place, and there are individuals who speak out against it when things go wrong. Uh, we, We certainly live our lives in blissful ignorance most of the time with the assumption that why would any corporation make anything that would slowly kill me over the time? That's bad for business, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Apparently for all not. we know, our, our uh, smartphones are going to give us a bunch of radiation poisoning in the future. Yeah. Well, I even heard recently that, you know, just... What, what was that one study where just a massive amount of the population just has trace elements of uh plastics in their in their body you know and that's huh. not normal wait <laughs> how did that happen it's because we I, I okay so i saw this on john oliver so I, i'd have to go back and like re-watch it but we've just been producing so many plastics over the last couple of decades maybe even century right and these plastics are just so prominent and such a big part of our lives that whether we know it or not, they've seeped into our bodies, either mm. through like food or water. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So Didn't, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. It's uh troubling. It sucks. Um like don't you remember a few years ago when there was that whole thing where people were like super concerned about plastic cups because uh they were saying that there were carcinogens in it oh yeah right see and that was just you know it had to be like 
five years ago, maybe a little over five years ago. Something like that. Yeah, right. Like, uh, I mean, I'm 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 estimating in terms of time, but it it certainly was recent enough, mm-hmm. you know. So, so uh, yeah, so that you know, to go back to what Rachel Carson did, it's she was a writer who wrote a bunch of stories about nature basically but in addition to that she she drew a lot of attention to the fact that um that these chemicals were all were being used so prominently and and i guess her you could say that her suggestion was hey maybe we should really reconsider whether this is good for us or not you know yeah by the time that we get to the end of her story we find out that she eventually died of cancer as well you know it was something that she kept secret it's pretty messed up that even though she was fighting against these chemicals and their place in in day-to-day life that she as the one person who was uh, i guess aware or or even questioning uh she is the one person who's questioning these chemicals would be one of its victims you know mm-hmm. almost feels like if they had just listened to her from the start maybe it, it wouldn't have been quite so bad or maybe she she wouldn't have succumbed to the to her cancer right well was her cancer implied to be a result of chemicals that she was exposed to oh uh, that's true that's i don't true. know if there was a direct correlation between it but the thing that stood out to me was how when she was speaking out and testifying uh, before the Senate about the dangers of of uh, these pesticides and, you know, basically explaining uh, her work, the stuff yeah. that she wrote in her books yeah. to, to the government, the chemical companies that were producing these products were pretty mad at her. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget, but did they... Did they produce alternative studies to uh, debunk her? That wouldn't surprise me if they did. It wasn't yeah. really covered in the book. Okay, okay. I, I am looking at this one page where it shows her standing there. And she's surrounded by these word balloons. But they're either from these corporations or just critics of her work. you know. And it's, it's people saying things like, This is sensationalist garbage. You just mm-hmm. hate progress. How dare you cause such panic? Stay in your place. And it ends with, what would a woman know about science? You yeah. Know? yeah. But, yeah, and, and you're right. I, I I think my interpretation of the scene was, uh, of the, the story was that her cancer may have been caused by these chemicals that everybody was more or less exposed to. But it's hard but, to pinpoint. Yeah, exactly. As how, as is most yeah. pa- as is the case most of the time with cancer, it's hard to correlate it with any one specific thing, right? Mm-hmm. But but it it does suck, I guess, that she was advocating against these chemicals that did cause cancer, and that was ultimately the thing that killed her. Yeah. Yeah. This comic was interesting, and in, in how it was a. Uh, biography about Rachel Carson but the way that it was written was 
from the first person point of view. So Bertie Willis, the the writer, she basically has Rachel Carson narrate her life story essentially. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was an interesting choice because most biographies don't really try to put you in the mind of the subject. You know, unless it's an autobiography, then obviously right, right. it would. But uh, yeah, this is this is not an autobiography. It's just a biography. So when we're put in her mind, it it definitely feels more of a poetic book than just a a retelling of somebody's life story. It's, yeah, it, it makes it feel more creative, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say. It it feels like it's more. I don't know uh, how many liberties that uh, Bertie Willis might have taken. I mean, she lists a, a bibliography in the back, uh, you know, that she she used as her sources to to build this comic, uh, the script. So I, I assume she did a lot of research and and there's a, a lot of stuff in here that we can probably assume most likely was going through Rachel Carlson's uh, mind. Yeah. Apparently a lot of her a lot of her personal writings survived. So um, I guess we we most likely have a, a good amount of insight into exactly what she was thinking because she wrote it down on paper yeah yeah i do think that there when you call it a poetic book that's that's a pretty good way of describing it um there are these there are a couple of scenes within the book that of just her appreciating nature you know and Mm -hmm. i do think they're pretty well done serene little moments uh there's this one scene in particular where she puts on a diving suit and goes mm-hmm. on the underwater just to just to be surrounded by by nature, you know. And it's this one page. Uh, yeah, I'm scene. looking at it on page 25, right? The splash page. Yeah, well, I I can't see the numbering, but yeah, and it's there's something just pleasant about it, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and the appreciation for nature shows in it, but. You know, uh, what's the word? I guess conversely. Yeah, I'm going to use it anyways. I don't even know if I'm using that word right. But, <laughs> um, a couple of page, pages later, uh, there's a scene where she talks about how all she wants to do is she just wants to live in harmony with nature, right? Like so much of her life seems to be – she's she's almost presented as this like reluctant warrior, this person who – all she really wants to do is live this peaceful life in harmony with nature, but it just feels like mankind or society is just creating these scenarios that put mankind at odds with nature, you know? So there's this scene later where uh, it even says that, you know, well, I I don't remember what the uh, specific... Oh yeah, it, it, there's a specific scene later where you know she talks about how she writes all these books about nature, and then when you turn the page, 
all you see is this mushroom cloud and like an atomic bomb. And she goes, despite my retreat into nature, I am found again. My worries from before come to light. They are tampering with nature. They are trying to control it and it will be disastrous. You know, just this reminder that, you know, man, that humans are, are, are just toying with these elements that are beyond their control elements that are destructive you know mm-hmm. and yeah and, and the page following it it just says this can't keep happening this can't keep happening you know yeah. uh, if it continues what will we have left and and the following pages are just her running to these different scenarios uh this this one scene at the top shows her running after these scientists that are destroying fire ants and you know fire ants are pretty terrible pest but you know they're they're still part of the ecosystem whether we like it or not so the idea that destroying them entirely like what harm are we really doing when we do something like that right um Mm -hmm. and then there's this scene where these people are just eating random gunk and she's just yelling at them she's like saying no don't eat that we don't know what it will do to you (laughs) yeah actually that that specific panel I was staring at that one for a while because I wasn't sure what I was looking at. I was right. wondering what those people were eating. Tide pods. <laughs> <laughs> she saw the future, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. But yeah, she just feels like this person who, in spite of her desires, she's just constantly at odds with a society that almost feels like it's trying to destroy itself you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah and again like just with my statement earlier about the tide pods it, it does seem that way i i would say the past two years have proven that if you try to logic if you try to provide certain people with logic <laughs> uh they will go against their best interest if they just feel that way <laughs> yeah yeah People yeah. be dumb. Yeah. People yeah. be stupid, man. That's just how it is. Yeah. So it, I, I definitely felt her frustration when, 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 uh, when the way they drew it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just. And, and what, you know, with everything that's going on now, like what, what worse way is there to to view that sort of devastation on that scale, right? Mm-hmm. Because. It's one thing to eat a Tide Pod when someone tells you not to, but an atomic bomb is a Tide Pod that we all have to swallow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's painful. It was, it, it was painful watching these scenes uh, and, and just how, how frustrating it can be sometimes, you know? Yeah, totally, man. What did you think about the artwork in this comic? I liked it. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, there are definitely some scenes where uh, where they draw nature and, and and even that like scene of devastation that I described earlier with the mushroom cloud, where there's a pretty there's there's pretty strong uh, uh, feelings of either serenity. Or just devastation, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they're pretty well done. They're 
uh, like I'm looking at this page right here where it's just a meadow and, and it's her just looking out at this meadow and it's just it's kind of cartoony it's kind of simple but it's just a grassy field with fish and and deer but it's evocative you know on its own mm-hmm. yeah and and it's pleasant and uh i don't know if you would agree but there is there are certain panels where i'm looking at this where it almost feels like it was inspired by manga or something yeah Maybe I'm just... you know what i thought I, th- I thought it looked like a little bit influenced by anime actually okay okay like the the way that she draws adults generally i think uh-huh uh they look more like american cartoons right 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 but there are you some can definitely scenes... see the american influence or the western influence for sure yeah yeah but there are some scenes when uh rachel carson is younger or where there are just other uh little kids in the scene that definitely remind me of something in, in an anime yeah like not not even a manga I'm, I'm like specifically thinking of animation right. there's a quality to it and and the coloring it's i feel like the coloring does a lot of work in this comic it's pretty pleasant coloring yeah the yeah. colorist is uh let me see kieran quigley I hopefully you pronounced uh that name correctly but yeah the, the coloring I think it, it's probably one of the stronger elements in terms of the the artwork. Like I don't I don't think the line art is bad or anything. It's it's uh it's I would say it's simple but effective. And like you said earlier, it she does capture those big moments really well. Whether it's the moments of serenity or the moments of pain and fear. But I did notice that there are also a lot of panels where there are no real backgrounds. Yeah. There's yeah. not a whole lot of detail. So it, it definitely feels like the, the colorist has to do a lot to maintain a sense of mood and uh-huh. carry the emotion that isn't in the details of the background. Yeah. But even, even uh, something like the spl- double page splash on pages 14 and 15, where it's a young Rachel Carson standing at the beach looking into the horizon with the water and the clouds yeah even though even though the drawing is pretty simple uh-huh. like there's not a whole lot of detail in it right but when you look at the coloring it's the coloring is incredibly detailed like you see the water it's got all these different shades of blue that meld into something that actually does look like the ocean and then the clouds yeah. they've got they're not just like completely white, but there's like different shades within them so that they look fluffy and they have texture. Yeah, yeah. So it's stuff a pretty like great, that is, is well done. Great splash. I'm looking at it. It's mm-hmm. you're right. It's there isn't a lot there. It's basically just a beach. It's just a woman on a beach, but it it in terms of mood it just hits you in all the right ways, you know? Yeah. And then like contrast that with, with, uh, good. Look at the, 
let's see. The last page of the book is page 66. So look at pages 62 and 63. Like those, those two pages where it's just a series of panels that most of them don't have any backgrounds, you know? Yeah. And when you, when you just look at them as line art drawings, they're, they're pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but it, it, it's weird to to look at how the some of the coloring choices are are kind of strange here when, when there is no background. Like there's this that one panel that has just this green gradient, and then right below it there's one that has uh, like this orange yellowish gradient, and then on the page next to it there's some like different shades of pink and purple. Mm-hmm. So yeah, part of me wonders if if this was just one of those area those one of those points where they started to run out of time (laughs) (laughs) right i don't know i mean again it's it's not like it's not bad or anything it it was just something that was a little bit jarring because it caught your attention yeah it definitely did catch my attention because a few pages before that when you look at the scene where uh man it's weird this doesn't this book doesn't consistently have page numbers but if you look at pages uh, 56 and 57, uh-huh. where Rachel is, uh, again, looking out at the horizon. There isn't much of a background there on on some of these panels, but the coloring, it still f- seems to fit the mood much better, you know? Like, it, it's, yeah. it, it looks like a cartoon or something that you see out of a cartoon with when the characters are looking out at a well-drawn, well-colored horizon or sunset. Right, right. I also, you know, while we're on the subject of the art style, like, I don't know if you read any of the back matter, because this this book is meant to be an educational guide, and I think they, they wrote it, with the intent of being uh, something that you can share in a classroom. Yeah, definitely. Booms. Yeah. Uh, so boom. Booms imprint Boombox. I know does a lot of comics that are aimed not necessarily at like little kids, but they are aimed at younger readers and I guess also adults that have you know discerning tastes. Right. Right. But. The, yeah, the goal is certainly to, at least for for this one, for this book, to the goal is for it to be taught in a classroom as well. So it does, it does have a lot of useful back matter. I, I Absolutely. Think, yeah, I was reading through the questions and and thinking about the stuff that they were bringing up. It's it's useful in learning how to read comics, and it's also a useful teaching guide in in terms of learning about uh, Rachel Carson and also interpreting yeah. the things that are contained in the pages, you know, like it, yeah. this, this really is a good book where if, if you, if you are a teacher and you want to do something fun or different with your class when you're teaching them about reading a biography, yeah, this, this would be a, a cool choice. Like there's yeah. definitely like the people, I don't know who wrote the teaching guide. I'm not 
not sure if there was a, a credit for that, but that person definitely put in work. Yeah. The thing that I noticed about the the some of the materials that they included in the teaching guide was you're right, they there are parts of this that ask you questions that help you to it helps you to understand as a reader how to read comics, right? Yeah. So it teaches you the language of comics without Yeah. You know, without explicit explicitly trying to be like this is the language of comics. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was really cool, you know, because uh, it, it could have very easily been just a teaching guide about environmental stuff and, uh, you know, trying to just regurgit- regurgitate facts about Rachel Carson or, or you know, what her accomplishments were. But mm-hmm. it, it's a nice little added uh, a detail um, that they included yeah. in this comic. Yeah, and totally. As comics loyalists, we definitely appreciate that. Absolutely. And on top of that, there's uh, this one section here where they talk about Scott McCloud's understanding comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that shows that they took the time to to really break down what it was they were trying to communicate when they wrote this story by taking into account Scott McCloud's teachings on how mm-hmm. to read and how to understand comics. Scott, mm-hmm. So, like, for those of you who don't know comics, Scott McCloud's uh, trilogy on uh, reading comics, understanding comics, and reinvent comics. Was that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's, that trilogy. It's, it's understanding comics reinventing comics and making comics oh right, right. My, my mistake right like for people that that do that read comics or you know the or the, the for people who are like really into the craft of comics those books are you know they're, they're pretty, pretty well regarded and they're pretty essential exactly they're uh they're like kind of the go-to books for like comics reading theory you know mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So, so uh, Bernie Willis and Ree Abrego and Kieran Quigley, like I, you know, I, 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 I don't know which of them to attribute that to, but I imagine that on some level, all of them uh, internalized his teachings or his theories when they were uh, making this comic, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. You know, another element about the comic, and this is something I just came to mind because as I'm flipping through the back matter, I, I see this as one of the, the questions that are brought up. But uh, the fact that this comic generally focuses on Rachel Carson's personal life as opposed to her achievements is a pretty interesting choice, too, because we get it... Uh, from you know again it's written in first person and it's mostly about her life and it just feels like the accomplishments that she achieved they're not ignored but they're they're kind of uh glossed over in a sense where it like we get mentions of them and we see we see the uh, aftermath or the you know, the consequences of 
of her achievements, but there isn't a whole lot of time spent on them compared to the amount of time we spend within her head and within her. Yeah. Like we spend a lot more time <clears throat> getting interiority from her perspective and, and just seeing what she feels in terms of the struggle that she's facing, the yeah. thoughts that she's facing, the, the, her motivation. Like yeah. we, you get the sense that she's somebody who's always loved to, to write, to read oh. and write. And uh, when she discovered her, her passion for uh, environmental concerns, she, and, and when she realized that she could combine her writing with that interest, like it, it's pretty interesting to see how, how that affected her. Like there's a scene where after she wrote her, her first book under, under the sea wind is what it's called. Like it, it gets a lot of critical acclaim and, and respect, but, and she's really excited about it, but people aren't interested because, well, it had the unfortunate uh, coincidence of coming out right, right after, or right before, uh japan behind pearl harbor so you know people have other things on their minds than than reading her book so you, you see that she's pretty disappointed about her book not selling well because of the war and she has to go back to her her day job and it's you know it's fine it's a steady job just as she says it's unfulfilling and not only that but uh when she's in her private moments you know like you see her her struggle emotionally because of what happened with her book, her first book. So like those, those are the moments that really humanize her as a person, as opposed to just a historical figure. Like she, yeah. she feels like a real person when you see something like that in this comic. Yeah, man, you're, yeah, you make a good point. I feel like a lot of the times with stories like this, the impulse is to, make it a story about how she stood up to the to the you know to the companies and the corporations and then she you know it culminates with her going to uh capitol hill to Mm -hmm. argue in front of the senate and you know uh it, it has this big dramatic moment and then it ends with and then she uh you know uh and then the united states government decided to start regulating these hazardous chemicals the end you know yeah (laughs) thanks to her the u.s environmental protection agency was created yeah the end nobody ever got cancer again (laughs) nobody ever damaged the environment ever again (laughs) right but um yeah i did i did enjoy the fact that so much of it so much of the story really happens in her personal life and in her in her headspace you know Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. when you see all these scenes of her just appreciating appreciating nature like this is something that happens just over and over again just her taking the time to step away from what whatever her uh day-to-day life is to just revel in nature like it really does reinforce the sense of what her motivation is, you know, her love for, for nature, her love for the environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, it, it just makes her just that much more believable. Yeah. Yeah. Because the very last uh, panel of the book has a her last narration caption, and it says, if you learn to love nature, you will want to protect it. And it's just a picture of her at peace, listening to the birds chirping outside. Yeah. There, there's definitely something poetic about this comic, you know? Like, it, it's it's not a dry kind of autobiography, or not autobiography, it's not a dry biography, mm-hmm. but it, it really is a good story in and of itself, you know? And the fact that it's based on a real person who, you know, contributed something important to American society and history, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Drew, do you have any other comments to make about it? There is one thing that reading the Rachel Carson book made me think of, and it has nothing to do with anything in the comic. It just made me, it brought to mind some memories that I hadn't thought of in a really long time. Huh. Would you care to hear, hear them? Shoot your shot, it's got son. Nothing to, it's got nothing to do with the comic. Do it. Okay, okay. So it just reminded me of when when I was a kid, and I was, I did some jerk stuff, man. Like this is this is a story that's not gonna portray me in a in a positive light. Sure, shoot. <laughs> but when I was in middle school, there was this girl in the class below me who was a total environmental nut. Like uh-huh. she she really cared about plants and animals and nature and stuff. And a, a lot of kids, you know, basically just made fun of her, bullied her, teased her and stuff because she was different and kids just be mean like that. Yeah. But I remember this one time she was she was yelling at me for walking on some grass. And this is an area of the school where there was a grass field, but within the the grass... You know how people plant these like stone, not stairs, but just steps. So people, you know, if you want to walk through that grassy area, you can step on the stone instead of just walking on the grass. Yeah. So I just ignored those stone steps and I was just walking on the grass and she started uh, yelling at me to 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 stop stepping on the grass so i would start jumping on it you know like really crushing the grass under my heels just because i knew it would make her mad wow <laughs> yeah like and again we were kids and and i think just the the spitefulness with which i did that it definitely made her cry and that just made me like mock her even more i i, I really regret that Oof. man yeah Oof. Yeah. I wish I didn't do that, but there wasn't anybody who slapped me, you know, for for doing that. And like, it was just some well, dumb stuff that I did when I was a kid. Kids and teens are obnoxious when left to their own devices, and um, yeah, I mean, but that's the point of growing up is that you hope that society and people will have a civilizing effect on them, you know. So. You felt sorry. Uh, you feel sorry 
about it now. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, like, you know, 25 years later, whatever good that does. Uh, 30 years later. Well, if you hadn't felt anything at all, you you could have ended up being a sociopath. So I'd much rather have this version of you than that version. <laughs> <laughs> Strange thing is, I, I haven't thought about that girl in a really long time. But reading this book made me think about that. Made me it's think funny about the her. things that triggers your me- trigger your memory, huh? Yeah. 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 Cause I, I guess it's just because I nev- I've never really taken environmentalism super seriously. Like that was never anything a cause. It was never a cause that I held particularly close to my heart or anything. I never really gave much of a second thought to it. But because this this uh, comic really made us confront that head on, I guess. I guess that must have been why I thought of that girl because that girl uh when I was That in, was the one instance in your life where you were confronted with uh environmentalism and in my you face chose to yeah. stomp the grass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I told you that story wouldn't portray me in a good light. <laughs> well, you were, I, I, I uh, commend your courage. Most people wouldn't have that, uh, wouldn't be able to do that. They, they'd much prefer to just, uh, uh, relegate that to some deep pit in the back of their memory. So, Hey, good on you. Well, now that story is available for everybody to listen to on a podcast. <laughs> We've immortalized that moment, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, I do not have a similar story. <laughs> I don't have anything like that's, that. That's just because you're too nice, man. You never made fun of anybody. Well, I didn't say that, but... <laughs> 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 nothing, nothing for that specific... <laughs> You never bullied a girl in the class below you. Uh, I mean, if we ever get to a point where we do a comic book about the time I slapped a cupcake out of somebody's hand just to prove a point, <laughs> I'll tell them that story <laughs> if that ever comes up. Well, and I you heard even it here, a, folks. Albert has a great a, story. And I wasn't even a kid. I was in my 20s. <laughs> I, as an adult, chose to do that just to just to teach someone a lesson. <laughs> okay, if anybody out there is listening and you want to hear this story f- from Albert, send us a message, tweet at us, hit us up on Instagram, email us, whatever method you do. And if you if we get enough people, if we get even one person interested in hearing this story, <laughs> maybe Albert will tell it to us next episode. Well, okay, before we end, uh, do you have any recommendations for uh, any books that, uh, or, or comics or really anything that made you think or that made you think of this comic or this subject? Uh, that, that's a little tough because I, th- I think what I realized when we were trying to think of 
comics to read for an observance of Women's History Month. I think I realized that I I didn't really know too many comics that specifically yeah would fit that theme. Like yeah, I mean I'm sure I'm sure there are there obviously are. It's just that due to my own ignorance based on the things that I've read. Already. There are just so many comics, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really just my my own ignorance. Like the one thing that came to mind was Paris Police by Marjane Satrapi, and uh-huh. you mentioned this as a recommendation after we did our episode on Mouse. Uh huh. But I guess it's still something that I would think about in light of Women's History Month because Paris Police or Persepolis, however you want to pronounce it. Yeah, is a uh, an autobiographical comic about how Marjane Satrapi grew up in the Iranian Revolution. So it's very personal, but it's also uh-huh. about uh, a you know a, a significant period in in history. Yeah, it's it's a great book. It's uh it's very crit- critically uh, acclaimed and. Uh, at some point, we'll probably discuss that book further in depth because it really is a good piece of work. But I, I do think that in terms of a comic that really explores the viewpoint of women and just how they live their lives and just how they view the world, uh, I do think it's a comic that provides you that perspective in a very, very well done way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, when faced with the subject of comics that explore women's history, it just made me realize just how little exposure I had to that subject as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's it was definitely a blind spot for me. So you know when 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 we decided that we were going to try to do a comic for Women's History Month, I. I do what I normally do, which is I just scour the library for, you know, here, here's just a, a, a little bit of background in what my, my process is. And it's it's almost uh, Neanderthal and how simple it is. But <laughs> I'll just it, it's basically me just typing women in comics in the in the search <laughs> engine and just seeing what comes up. <laughs> you know, it's it's not complicated. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did come across some things that I was curious enough uh, to to try out. I'm going to check them out uh, even even after this episode is over because uh, yeah, it's just just for my personal uh, edification, you know. Mm-hmm. So one of the books that I'm looking at right now is Hedy Lamar, An Incredible Life. This is by William Roy, illustrated by Sylvain Derange. And I don't really know anything about this comic. Uh, I, I think it's a European comic. But the thing about it is I do remember uh, hearing about Hedy Lamar. She was, she was someone that I think they're even making a movie about her right now. But the thing about her was that she really had a pretty incredible life like they said in the title, because she was someone who I think when you just looked at her on the surface, just seemed like this really glamorous movie star. But I think she was 
also an inventor. And I, th- I want to say she might have even been a spy on some level. Whoa, she was many things, dude. She was definitely many things. Uh, let me let me read the the description here. Um, from her native Austria to the limelight of Hollywood, Hedy Lamarr was constantly bombarded with societal limitations and personal obstacles, including her own beauty. Although only through courage, ambition, and intellect would she rise to become both a cultural icon and an un- un- unparalleled inventor whose creations would alter the course of history. Yeah, so I, I don't know about Spy, but she she was an inventor as well as like a movie star, you mm-hmm. know. So uh, that's pretty impressive, and uh, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty curious to see what her her story is. Uh, the other comic that I pulled out was, or, or that I uh, chose to in, in my research was uh, this one from Boom Studios called Waves. It's by Ingrid Chabert. Chabert, I don't know. Uh, and it's illustrated by Carol Murrell. Morel. So, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, but it's. I've read a little bit of this one. I haven't finished it quite yet, but it's it's the story of a young uh, mother who deals with the loss of her child. You know, so it's not quite women's history, but I do think, uh, in terms of a comic that just exposes me to uh, the perspective of women, this is something that could be enlightening to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh. The last one that I wanted to mention, and this this one has a pretty funny title, but I I did find the premise of it to be pretty pretty humorous and pretty uh, interesting. So this is the story of my tits. <laughs> it's from IDW Publishing. It's by Jennifer Hayden. It's illustrated by Jennifer Hayden. And uh, here, just let me read the description to you. When Jennifer Hayden was diagnosed diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 43, she she realized that her tits told a story. Across a lifetime, they'd held so many meanings, hope and fear, pride and embarrassment, life and death. And then they were gone. Now their story has become a way of understanding her story. Growing up flat-chested and highly aware of her inadequacies, heading off to college where she bloomed in more ways than one, navigating adulthood between her mother's mastectomy, her father's mistress, and her musician boyfriend's problems of his own, not to men- of his own, not to mention his sprawling family. Then the kids come along. As cancer strikes three different lives, some relationships crumble while others emerge even stronger. And this sarcastic child of the 70s finally finds a goddess she can believe in. For everyone who's faced cancer personally or watched a loved one fight that battle, Hayden's story is a much-needed breath of fresh air, an irresistible blend of sweetness and skepticism, rich with both symbolism and humor. The story of my tits will leave you laughing, weeping, and feeling grateful for every day. Mm, Yeah, I remember hearing about that book, and it got a pretty good amount of critical acclaim, so I should check it out. Yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, 
it's the kind of biography that hits hits my sweet spots. The you know just the emotionality of it all and the vulnerability and the honesty of it. You know, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Sounds right. good. And if uh, anyone out there listening has your own suggestions, feel free to hit us up. Let us know what we should check out because, like we said, there's just certain gaps in our comics knowledge that we might not be aware of. Books about important women throughout history. If anyone has any recommendations, we're definitely interested in hearing what people have to say. Yep. DM us on our Instagram. You can email us at between the gutters at g- uh, between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram at between the gutters or Twitter, all the socials. And uh, if you're listening to this, you know, if you can give us a five stars on whatever platform you're listening to us on, that would go a long way to helping us reach more people. Thank you guys for uh, listening. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. Bye, guys.